Yeah, that is a good episode. Well, should we start the podcast or what? Because I got an intro bit. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Doing Misogyny Out of Spite podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> okay, fine. Not welcome to that podcast. <laughs> welcome to the regular podcast. Your parents watch this. We're brought to Fuck. We're brought to you here by Comedy Here Often. We're brought to you to tell you about how the movies your parents watch shape their worldview. Hey, you know what? I want to do a plug right off the top. You know how a lot of podcasts, they record this shit weeks in advance. That way, you know, it's difficult to be like, hey, this thing's happening right now. Check it out. Yeah. We're not like this. Yeah, we like different. to do as close to a live show as we possibly can. Absolutely. And uh, for that reason, we get to, we have the privilege of telling you guys, hey, Today, on the day of this podcast release, go on YouTube and look up the comedy here often. Don't go that viral. Or wait, what is it called? Stop going Stop viral. Stop going viral. Uh, uh, comedy podcast festival. You can see uh, Will Arnett and me and Brad featured as equals being interviewed about different things. Same size names on the poster, baby. Exactly. I also, I like that you said we have the privilege of being in a comedy fe- podcast festival because really there is no more white privilege type thing than being in a podcast festival. Being in a podcast, let alone a <laughs> celebration of podcasts. <laughs> this is this is as close as, as I've ever come to, uh, never mind. This is like uh, throwing a parade for finding out your dick doesn't work. Yeah, this feels like a straight pride parade in a way. <laughs> in a very roundabout way, it feels as pointless, as, as self-jerky-offy. The erectile dysfunction pride parade. So anyway, check it out. Yeah, check this out. <laughs> it's for charity. Uh, yeah. it's a, wait, it's a free show and it's for charity, so. Yeah, on YouTube. And donate to PAHO, the Pan American Health Organization. That's who we're doing it with. That's who the proceeds go to, baby. Uh, we're helping fix COVID. Yeah, hell yeah. Well, we're, they are. We're, we're trying to get those Cuban COVID vaccines out to everybody. We don't want AstraZeneca. Go fuck yourself. Pfizer, Moderna can suck my nuts. What about, I only want the people's vaccine. What about this? The Cuban vaccine crisis. And it's where they have a nuke, but like a warhead, but it's full of vaccine. And they drop it on the United States and then everyone gets autism. That's what they're trying to pitch right now. I, I actually saw Cuba and Iran are working together to, to make a vaccine. Yeah. I would like that one. It's probably because the U.S. will never give it is. Of those no, it is. Alone. It is. Cuba's allied with Iran because, like, it, yeah, they work well together. Uh, they're both being terrorized by the U.S. government. But anyway, I think it would be funny to get that vaccine. We're talking about the boys, okay? We're keeping it positive this yeah, week. Yeah, we're getting a little homoerotic, a little punchy. We're doing Fight Club, the 1999... Uh, uh, I don't know if I'd say masterpiece, but holy shit, this is a, a piece, cultural, I, this is a cult classic, that's what I'll call it. It's a cult classic, this has had a huge impact on cinema, on culture, on uh, dudes in their 20s. It's about an insomniac office worker and a devil-may-care soap maker that form an underground fight club that evolves into so much more, like uh, domestic terrorism and being disillusioned with the capitalist system. Yeah, it's what you might call leftism, but it's what I just call uh, breathing, because it's so natural to me. Yeah, it's what I call uh, the struggle that I go through every single day in my brain. The dichotomy <laughs> in my head that tells me, do guerrilla warfare, and also uh, that tells me to go become a billionaire. Yeah, this movie was really funny to watch because I found myself like getting what, what uh, Tyler was saying and then being like, oh, Brad, you shouldn't agree. You know what I mean? Because we've talked about this before, about how like if you think yourself through all the stuff that's happening, the only answer really is suicide bombing yes 
Yeah. And that's that's what I'm saying. That's why this movie hit so much or hit so close to home for me. Let's we should probably set up what this is about at the start. It's yeah. kind of about um Edward Norton who just pretty aimless insomniac. He's working an office job. Uh you know, he's really just not happy with where his life's at. He started going to support groups for uh shit that he doesn't even have like men's t- t- testicular cancer and all sorts of things just so he can actually like yeah, feel something which uh Honestly, like, uh, the idea of a fight club isn't really that appealing to me, but, like, the idea of just going to random fucking group therapy sessions, I might start doing that. That sounds hilarious. Well, when you pitch fight club in a way of, like, it's just to feel something, I kind of get it, you know? I've done a lot of things in my life just to feel something. Usually it's me doing it to myself, but what I'm saying is if I can get the same, like, oh, my God, I'm about to die panic as I get when I do all my other coping mechanisms. Exactly. I think Fight Club would be fine. And that's the thing. Honestly, man, like the idea of like why they're doing Fight Club, I fully get it. It's not you got to feel something. I would sometimes. join a Fight Club right now. I wouldn't. But that's because I hate getting hit. Yeah. I want to I get what they get out of Fight Club via something else. Like, I don't know, man. I think it's uh, kind of stupid and dumb to compare doing stand up to going to Fight Club. But yeah, here's what I'd pitch to you. You ever try snorting Xanax? Break it down for me. Uh, One time give, I got too afraid to take a Xanax. I that'll give we you a that lot on of, the last uh, ep. Give you some Fight Club energy. Give you some, uh, well, that's the, oh my God, I'm about to die feeling. I love that he goes to those support groups because like, I don't know really what a support group is. I should go to one. I never have. But do you think that's what guys with testicular cancer do? They just hug each other and cry? No, if I was a man with testicular cancer, I wouldn't tell anybody about it until I died of testicular cancer. Well, you wouldn't even tell your doctor about it? Probably not. Yeah, that's true, because you'd be like, I can't lose a ball. I already know what this is. Why am I going to go to the doctor? I don't want to grow titties like Bob. Yeah, you see, you show me shit like that, and you expect me to get my balls checked ever? Fuck off! You think if you cut your balls off, you grow titties? Is that how it works? Well, it's kind of like, um, like when your hair migrates from your head to your chest. According to Fight Club, yes. Hmm. Um, you know what? Uh, going to uh, Ed Norton, going to the support groups, kind of reminded me of what the classic game we used to play called uh, "Getting Drunk and Lying to People." Where we would uh, <laughs> go to bars and get hammered and just make stuff up to whoever would listen. Yeah, that was a good game, man. I miss that game. It's a shame that you can't do that in the pandemic anymore, you know? Yeah, in this post-COVID world. Actually, it might actually just be easier to lie to people, and I just don't have the energy. That's a good point. People can't even see me anymore Mm -hmm. when I talk to them, so what's stopping me from telling them I'm like 6'5"? Literally nothing. Brad's uh, 6'5", he's jacked, and he has not only one girlfriend, but two girlfriends. Uh, Both of them still here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Stop dunking on me based on non-podcast information. Oh man, I think the fans will read between Stop the lines. Bringing my real life into this, we're supposed to. This supposed to separate our disbelief and create a piece of entertainment here. We're hey. not supposed to. We're not. We're just doing escapism. We're not doing realism on the podcast, Kian. All right, back to the escapism then. So I really. That's like why it. we're not reviewing vlogs. <laughs> so I just want to say. That I loved this movie, and you could you, every everybody who's listening to me say that should take that with the biggest goddamn grain of salt that they've ever seen in their lives, because like I am the target audience for this movie. Yeah, I'm a guy who you know I work a day job that I hate so goddamn much, and uh, you know my life is objectively meaningless at this point in time. 
Yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, part of me, uh, you kind of have like that that moment that Edward Norton has at a certain point in this movie where he's like sitting on the fucking toilet buying shit out of the uh, Ikea catalog thinking like, is this really what I want to do or am I just going through the fucking yeah. motions of a capitalist society? And then all of a sudden you have the uh, Brad Pitt pop into your brain and tell you, hey, you should burn all this shit down. Yeah. Have you ever bought anything from Ikea? Because I don't own one piece of Ikea furniture, and goddamn, am I ever proud of that. Yeah, my bed's from Ikea, but I didn't bought that. I was uh, given that after my roommate got a new bed and I think took pity on me for sleeping on the floor. Yeah, I've also never bought furniture. All my furniture is from the alley behind my old apartment. (laughs) (laughs) But none of it's Ikea. (laughs) So I'm doing well. Um, But yeah, that is like, I don't know, that was very similar to like what happened in the pandemic. Like everybody was forced to just like, be inside and purchase things from Amazon. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's kind of what pushed me along this road because I wasn't living like this before the pandemic. I was uh, honestly living a bit of a Tyler Durden style lifestyle where I was uh, broken, kind of living in shambles, but stoked about it because yeah. I had so much goddamn free time on my hands and I was doing whatever I wanted. You were making soap, pointing guns at strangers, living the dream. Precisely. But now I'm at a point where I have lit- I cannot do that. It is against the law for me to go do stand-up and make my own money right now. So I'm forced to get a regular-ass 9-to-5 job, and it's tearing me apart. It was, it's so funny how, like, as soon as they were like, okay, no one can make money, it's illegal now. And then we were all like, okay, I guess it's time to spend money. Yeah, well, they kept giving me money to spend. Yeah. I don't know. I blew through like savings though. I spent oh, yeah. their money and then also all of mine. I did that too, but I also have like a really fucked up relationship with money because bad things just keep happening to me and they just like take up all my savings. Yeah. So I'm at a point now where I only save money for the next bad thing to happen to me where I become unemployed for an extended period of time. Yeah. Like after fucking getting kicked out of my apartment for months after breaking my knee and not being able to work <laughs> or claim EI because I lied. Uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't claim EI because of the government, not because of myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, all you know, I'm used to having no savings and all my shit being chewed through. I only save up money for it to be taken away from me at a later point. But the point is, I fucking hate the world we're living in. Yeah. It's very upsetting. And Fight Club really hit home for me. I think that it really captured a lot of the feelings that I, a young man, I'm kind of starting to realize. And I think it makes sense. As David Fincher, the director of this movie, called this movie uh, a coming-of-age film for 30-year-olds, which couldn't agree more. Yeah, fair enough. Like, I don't mean to get too Jordan Peterson on you, but, like, I do think that this movie's about, like, how... Oh, I don't know how to say this in a way that doesn't sound like... um, reactionary or whatever like but uh it's just about i feel like it's about it's just interesting how it shows like um the changing role of men in society i guess because like it's not he's not really doing all the patriarchy shit or at least he's like trying and not succeeding at it and i feel like like uh yeah i don't know i just feel like it the philosophy of this movie towards young adult men is the same as the philosophy of Jordan Peterson towards young adult men, I think. How do you mean? Where they blame society for emasculating you and doing all this other shit to you, and that's yeah. why you are the way you are? When instead he could have just like 
done a painting in his house and taken control of his life again or whatever. No, yeah, I actually think that you're right about that. And I think that that's uh, why uh, the character of Tyler Durden is so goddamn, or was so effective to me in this movie, because he's a representation of, like, the furthest, I guess, opposite end of my mind. uh, Or, you know, like, the most, uh, this is, I'm trying, I'm struggling for words here, but, like, the most over over the top example of masculinity and freedom that there is where on a surface level it looks awesome but once you actually start to look at the substance i guess of his character you realize that there's almost nothing there and what is there is kind of fucking reprehensible yeah um and that's kind of that's what i liked about it i think that it forces you to kind of you know find a some sort of middle ground between ed norton and uh tyler durden in this and like like him blaming uh uh society for emasculating you and taking you know uh, t- they 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 use they talk about chopping your balls off like so many goddamn times through this yeah. movie but like shit like that i think is just uh it's like an easy kind of excuse i don't think that society clipped you of your balls or made you more of a woman I th- uh, I think that it's taken your humanity away from you almost like yeah. the feeling I have after working uh, an eight hour day and then walking home. It's like I have no energy to do anything. I don't feel like a man. I don't feel like a fucking person. Well, that's what I think this movie got wrong is like I don't think it's a emasculation thing. I think it's just a we're all getting ground down to nothing. Exactly. Like we all feel like shit like I don't think women leave work feeling happy. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's exactly the thing that this movie missed. And I wish that they explored that a little more in the character of Marla. Yeah. Because that, that felt like such a missed opportunity there. Like, she was really only there to serve uh, Ed Norton's... Yeah, that's true. I wish I she guess, got fleshed out more. Because also, arguably, she was one of the more interesting characters in this. I liked it. I liked the... Uh, I mean... At the end of the day, she was a manic pixie dream girl. But, like, I liked her fucking... Who doesn't like man... I want her. Like, who doesn't like a manic pixie dream girl? Well, I just felt like she had a little... She could have had so much more going on than, like, that standard, I guess, type... Or, uh, you know... Oh, you just mean the stereotype thing? Stock... Well, yeah, I mean, she was a pretty stock character in this movie. But, like, she had... Yeah. uh, But she didn't have to be, is what I'm trying to say. Is, like, she could have... The way that they portrayed her, it was more of a manic, depressive uh, pixie dream girl. Yeah. And that would have been a very interesting thing to explore. I wish they talked about how she got to the point where she is in yeah, the movie too. or why she feels so empty and disillusioned with society. Because I think that would have really uh, helped Ed Norton. Or, you know, you would have been able to see kind of some more of the humanity on Ed Norton's side. Because they don't really get into yeah. I think it would have made the movie more enough. effective as well. Just because it would have showed it as a people issue instead of a guy issue exactly i hate like there is like a feeling in these old movies of like issues for guys <laughs> like yeah you know no I mean? this was such a movie for for like yeah this was just for dudes yeah and it's like it didn't have to be this is this well, crosses just, so many more lines than that this it's is also just wrong like this is a great movie or whatever the message is nice but i just feel like it doesn't get all the way there because of that yeah, I mean, I think that it does kind of say what it wants to say. I think it could have probably said it a little more effectively, but I think that it does say what it wants to say, and if you're looking into it, I don't know. I really feel like I got a lot out of this movie. Yeah, I just um, feel like it's too dude-focused instead of whole-world-focused. I think that's a pretty pretty fair um, uh, critique to have of this. I would like to uh, go into... You know what, though, about Marla, too, is... 
just specifically, I really wish they would have uh, delved more into that scene where she calls the cops on herself. Yeah. When she's like uh, drugged out in that room and calls Tyler to come over. And uh, yeah, then the cops show up and they uh, run away. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Like she's so self-destructive that I, I really do see like, I don't know. I see a little bit of my self-destructive tendencies yeah. in her. Sue me, dude. That's yeah. fine to say. I can I, say that on, absolutely. on a boy podcast. <laughs> this is a boy podcast. Podcast for guys. <laughs> I want to be very clear here. Boy is a color for boys. Blue is a color for boys. And this is a podcast for boys. <laughs> hey, I want to try out a new segment on this show. We've touched on some of the major issues for this movie. Um, and you know who else has touched on them? Who? A man named Roger Ebert. And so I would like to pitch to you. A new segment for the TV show. <laughs> for our TV show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the audio TV show. Uh, the Boys v. Roger Ebert, where we go through Roger Ebert, the most respected film, critics, uh, film critic of all time. We're going to go through his critique of the movie Fight Club and explain not only why he's wrong, but why he's also a bitch. Yeah, and why he's also not a boy. <laughs> yeah, because uh, we'll see. Because he, he, he gets this movie. But he has a very different takeaway than a lot of other people, and a similar one that you've had in the past for some of our other flicks. So, well, and we have been saying we like we want to have different opinions on this on the movies because sometimes so why, it feels like just an echo thing. Yeah. So why not get the only other opinion of movies that exists? Yeah, the top three opinions of movies: Kean, Roger Ebert, Brad. Yeah, that's in I that mean, order. You don't like movies that much. Yeah, you, I don't care about. You've self identified that. Listen, way. so of course you're in third place. If I of get top overall in, movie critics of all time. If I get more into cinema, I'll move up that ladder. <laughs> I'm sure. But for now, I'm j- I just I couldn't be fucked to be honest. <laughs> all right, <laughs> this starts off okay. Fight Club, two stars out of four stars. Uh, that's bold. He you know, wrote he's great because he uses four stars instead of five. He wrote this review in 1999. I was one years old. Brad was not born yet. All right. Fight Club is the most frankly and cheerfully fascist big star movie since Death Wish, a celebration of violence in which the heroes write themselves a license to drink, smoke, screw, and beat one, each other up, one another up. Okay, but how is that fascist? Because I feel like we use the word fascist too much about bullshit. I mean, I will say that this movie does have some fascist overtones, but they're very much towards the end of the movie, and I don't think that they're highlighted well. Like, the fascism that he's talking about is specifically once uh, they... What's their the name of their second plan? There's Fight Club, and then there's Operation... Project Mayhem. Project Mayhem. When they get Project Mayhem off the ground and they start getting the uh, group of fellows around the house, yeah. the Brotherhood of Boys... Uh, and they start, like, shaving all their heads and making them, uh, you know, like, strip them of their names and all that shit. And you see uh, Brad Pitt in the backyard making them farm while he's blowing into a megaphone being like, you are all maggots. You will all decay. Da-da-da. That's pretty overtly fascist, I think. Sure, I guess. But it's like the ideology they have isn't fascist. Like, we don't need to throw fascist at just shit that's stupid. Like... I would have rather him be like, oh, these guys are like totalitarian or something like that. I think that's fair. But I also think that 
Because that's kind of the point that this movie's getting to, is that Brad Pitt doesn't have any concrete ideas about anything. Brad Pitt's character in this movie is just how I feel about stuff, yeah. not how I've thought through anything. So I think that's the point of this, is that if you start to rebel against uh, society for no reason, just for the sake of rebelling, the only thing you're going to create is fascism. Like, the only thing that you're going to make is a group of people. Uh, or maybe I'm completely wrong about that. I think that the idea is just... You can definitely make different stuff, but it's... a. Uh it's also like, uh, damn, I forgot what I was going to say. That's okay. We can go back to the Ebert review. Sometimes, for variety, they beat up themselves. It's macho porn. The sex movie Hollywood has been uh, moving towards for years, in which eroticism between the sexes is replaced by all-guy locker room fights. What do you think? I mean, yes. Yeah, honestly. But also, that was... But it's like, that's sort of a fucking not all the way there criticism because yeah they are glorifying how horny it is to beat each other up and shit but it's like turn that into a criticism about the message of the movie like that's the thing yeah it's like this is roger ebert just not taking that further and not realizing that that was an intentional choice by david fincher the director well it's a real criticism you could make of the one we did make about the whole it doesn't speak to all of society thing but instead you're just like oh they're oh it's macho yeah. Like, what does that mean to me? That's not like, I don't know. I just feel like it's not a deep enough criticism. Well, I mean, I think it's a fair criticism to make, but it's also like, really, it's a thing to notice about a movie. Yeah. But I think you have to think like, okay, wh- why are they doing it like that? Yeah, is tons it, of movies are macho. Why is it macho? Is it not to make fun of these guys for cl- uh, uh, claiming that women are the root of all their issues about how they've been emasculated and then they're talking about or and then there's a scene where Brad Pitt is taking a bath while Ed Norton's taking a shit and then there's all uh, the beginning of the movie opens with uh, Ed Norton or sorry Brad Pitt shoving a gun down Ed Norton's mouth with the intent to make it r- reminiscent of a wiener yeah I mean, I don't know. And it's I didn't, like, I didn't, I don't want to, I want to make one thing very clear here. I didn't see a gun being put down a man's throat and being, and thought, oh, that's like a penis. No, nobody thinks that. That's psychologists nobody thinks talking that. out of their fucking ass. I just read that, uh, or I read on the Wikipedia article that David Fincher explicitly made it like that to represent penises. Sure. The thing I was going to sure. say about fascism, I want you to too. agree with me a little more, <laughs> a little harder than that. <laughs> um, the thing I was going to say about fascism earlier is I think it's, less about like getting an ideology and more about um submitting to like the the lizard brain part of yourself like your animal instincts yeah and i think that um it's not showing how this guy became fascist it's showing how this guy became for lack of a better word a wild animal yeah no and i it's also not even i i guess it's how he became but i think that it's it's not supposed to glorify that in any sense of the imagination like, no you're it's supposed, supposed to, to know be, he's wrong no exactly like that <laughs> whole part of the scene is when ed norton's kind of waking up to all the bullshit that he's been yeah feeding into like yeah. he, he he when you when he notices that like oh none of these guys have names anymore all their heads are shaved bald it's like he's not stoked about that he's trying to yell at them and be like no uh, like the scene where bob gets shot and they're like oh he doesn't have a name anymore and he's like no his name was fucking bob yeah and then you know they're all whatever yeah but, like skinheads shave their heads and so but you can be like oh that's a nazi thing to do but it's like i don't know i don't think specifically in this use of it wasn't that, that that's not why it's nazi it, there it they the point of that was just like this whole movie up to this point has been about how there's no you know 
we're homogenous society. We're all just fucking robots who go to work and we all buy our shit and everything's the exact same. Yeah. And there's no point in anything. And, there's and all of a sudden more homogenous than fascism. Well, yeah, no, that's that's the exact point, because like it's for a minute in the middle of the movie, it seems like, you know, they're going to overcome all this bullshit. Yeah. And then the end of the movie is them uh, or Ed Norton realizing when you go too far in the other direction, you just kind of end up descending into the same hole that got you to where you already didn't want to be. OK. Uh, yeah, sure. I see it. But I wish he would have said that instead of just being like, this is fascist. Okay, yes. Well, we're also a, a paragraph it. Maybe you'll go into it later. I forget how this article goes. Man, <laughs> we really shouldn't have done an episode this week. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we already talked about they beat each other up, macho porn, Hollywood sex movies. Women who have had a lifetime of practice dealing with little boy posturing will instinctively see through it. Many men get off on the testosterone rush. The fact that it is a very well the, the fact that it is very well made and has a great first act certainly clouds the issue. Um, I think that's an intentional choice by the director to have this be a testosterone fueled uh, fucking dude show for the middle half of the or for the middle chunk of this movie. Yeah, like what are you complaining about? Is it not a movie where, like, is it not a movie about? that happening to a guy like yeah seriously if 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 this movie (laughs) if this movie was about ed norton joining fight club and then it ends with ed norton realizing how much tighter fight club is than any other aspect of life then it's yeah that's a fair criticism to have of this movie but that's not what this is about yeah i don't know it just feels like this review is written the way i write notes which is as i watch it yeah. <laughs> uh, Edward Norton stars as a depressed urban loner filled up to here with angst. <laughs> what a funny way to. <laughs> yeah. This is a written article. How high did people's computers used to be in, back in 99? Is there a GIF of Roger Ebert's hand supposed to appear on <laughs> Every, the screen? Everyone's computer was above their head, so they're like, oh, he's had it way taller than me. All right. That's not a. That, we're just dunking on Robert. That's us explaining why he's a bitch in that se- yeah. sentence. Um, it's not something a boy would say either. <laughs> <laughs> he describes his world in a dialogue of sardonic social satire. His life and job are driving him crazy. As a means of dealing with this pain, he seeks out 12-step meetings where he can hug those less fortunate than himself and find catharsis in their suffering. It is not without irony that the first meeting he attends is for post-surgical victims of testicular cancer, since the whole movie is about guys being afraid of losing their cojones. Here's my question about that. Is is he going to these meetings to find catharsis? Because I thought he was just going to cry because it helped him sleep. Yeah, I mean, that's what catharsis is. Just getting something out. You find it cathartic. And in that sense, I think that he did find it cathartic because he was able to cry out or, you know, literally cry all this shit out and then fall asleep. Yeah, I guess to me that just sounds like he's using them for their intended purpose and just lying instead of. Yeah, no, you're absolutely. That's actually a very interesting point. Like, is there is he doing anything objectively wrong by lying about what he has to get that he's probably getting more out of those groups than dudes with actual testicular cancer? Well, I mean. So I guess I what I'm know. saying, is it wrong if I start doing that? I think that um, there should just be a, like a sub- general support group. So y- he didn't have like so you wouldn't have to lie. I guys hear like you. That but can you imagine cry together? Be like one guy's like I got cheated on. The other guy's like I fucking lost in Fortnite. You find something in common about those two experiences. You're, next thing you know, you're having a dialogue. Is that really where you want to go? 
a church basement full of guys who are sad for various different reasons? I mean, I, maybe it would have <laughs> because I've never done that before in my life. And I'll tell you what, I've never felt good in my life. Because I would just be there thinking that everyone's a bitch, including me for being there. But that's the best part about that is you get to go there and think everyone's a bitch and you leave with a heightened sense of confidence. You walk out of there, you're like, God damn, I'm such a non-bitch compared to all those guys. Yeah, maybe. And then someone from your work sees you leaving the sad boy basement and you're like, no, I'm happy. I'm just doing it as a bit. Well, it's anonymous, so everyone wears a balaclava. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I do group therapy if it was anonymous. If I got to wear a balaclava, if it was behind a uh, confessional style, everyone has to be hoodie on, mask on, strap drawn. We're all in different rooms, and we have to yell through the walls at each other. Yeah, sort of like a glory hole, but for emotions. Yeah. Man, I think I think we could start a this despair business. hole. <laughs> <laughs> Would you go to a place called Despair Hole? Like, it depends on if it's a dive bar or not. Well, no, it's a gas station bathroom. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'd check it out. That's like when you're driving through fucking. I forget what small town Alberta is like. We have the best gas or the best yeah. bathroom in Canada. I've, and you're like, oh well, there's no way I'm not shitting here. It's one of the ones that starts with a W, I think. But it's so funny because like I people, wanted to say Valley View, but I don't think it is. People will stop at that gas station just because it has the sign best gas station bathroom in the world. And that's how you know you shouldn't be in that part of the country. Yeah. It's too boring. If you're stopping at the best gas station bathroom, <laughs> go home. <laughs> well, I got to see that. I go read remember, a book in a park. Man, I hate that you're saying this because I've been genuinely <laughs> like titillated by seeing that sign nicest bathroom in Canada. It's like. I've seen some pretty nice bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> then it's like you think about an NHL player's bathroom <laughs> and what that would look like. And you, eventually you come to the conclusion. You're like, maybe no bathroom in a gas station deserves to be rated even. That's a fair point. Not even deserves to be best, deserves to be noted. But you know, you know the thing about why that bathroom is so popular, I think? Because hmm. they have little shelves in each of the stalls where you yeah. can just very conveniently conveniently do cocaine off of and that's only how they got the nicest yeah uh, that banner. that's actually what the rating is based <laughs> off of is if there's coke shelves in each of the stalls uh, um sorry i gotta pee okay all right brad's back all right welcome bathroom. back to the i had sex with kian's girlfriend podcast welcome back to the brad the was just going I, to podcast brad took a big steamer official did. podcast of me brad semituck having sex with kian's girlfriend these early scenes have a nice slide. <laughs> <laughs> These early scenes have a nice slide tone. They're narrated by the Norton character in a kind of voice Nathaniel West used in Miss Lonely Hearts. I don't know who that is. I've never seen that movie. Yeah, but it kind of... Fuck you, Roger Ebert. You're a clown. <laughs> uh, he's known only as the narrator for reasons later made clear. Uh, the meetings are working as a sedative, and his life is mar marginally manageable when tragedy strikes... He begins to notice Marla, uh, who's played by Helena Bonham Carter, at meetings. She's a tourist, like himself, somebody not addicted to anything but meetings. Uh, she spoils it for him. He knows, she's a, uh, he knows he's a faker, but wants to believe everyone else's pain is real. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't have an argument with that. It is interesting to me that the big tragedy of his life is meeting a woman. Because me personally, if I ever met a beautiful girl, I would... Uh, 
I would just be fine. Everywhere. If I ever met a girl who looked like Helena Bonham Carter while I was doing weird shit that I thought only I was the guy, only I did, yeah, then it'd be like, oh, we should get married tonight. Picture this. You're doing the weirdest part of your personality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the hottest girl you've ever seen in your life walks in. Literally and she's a movie like, star. Hey, I also love to do this crazy ass shit. Like... How is that bad to you? How do you start fantasizing about telling this late? Like, that was what I, yeah. one thing I really identified with was uh, <laughs> uh, him fantasizing about telling her off for like 15 minutes at the start of the movie. And then when he actually does it, she's like, yeah, I saw you rehearsing that. I re- <laughs> Man, I fucking loved that. <laughs> yeah, that was embarrassing. Um but that's also so fun, and that's almost a thing that I kind of identify with when I see somebody doing something that I enjoy, but I'm a little embarrassed that I enjoy it, and then I just think that they're dumb for doing it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, I do that too. And that's something that I want to catch myself on. I didn't like it when I saw Ed Norton do it in this movie. I certainly don't like it when I do it to real in real life. Yeah. Yeah, like when people tell them tell you they like your comedy, you're like, shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, what do you, you know about anything? Dumbass loser. Exactly forgetting completely that you wrote it all and decided you liked it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that I worked for hours tweaking it and choosing exactly what word was going to go in there. <laughs> Can't just be like, thanks. <laughs> um, fuck. Oh, also, it's just kind of... The description of the groups in this review is just a little weird to me. Like, he's not going to addiction groups. Mostly, he's going to disease, like, these, like terminal or near terminal disease groups i mean i think that i think that says a different thing than if it was all aa and na what what do you think that different thing is i think it shows how he sees himself how i think he sees himself as diseased as doomed i think that uh that's what it's trying to show with these because he's most of it is cancer that he's going to yeah at least those are the ones that seem like better doing it for him yeah and so I don't know. To me, that just seems like he doesn't see it as like a thing he's doing to himself. Almost, he sees it as a thing that is out of his control. Yeah, I think that's a a, a really good point. Actually, you might not even be a because at that point in the movie, like he's not even really sure why he's feeling like that. He's just he's blaming it on on uh, on himself and his insomnia. Not yeah. Which I don't think insomnia he, is not something you would think that was under your control. Yeah. Yeah, yes. I I'm, I don't know. I'm I just d- think it's uh, supposed to be symbolic. I, I don't think... I that think that you're right, and I, I'm just processing that because I didn't even realize that. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I just don't think that it's... um, It does it justice to call it 12-step or recovery or whatever he's calling it. But also, maybe I'm just reading into that too like maybe i'm just nitpicking hey what's this podcast if it's not about reading into things and nitpicking yeah whatever man i'm a little down on myself this week so yeah we've heard i'm gonna be questioning some things (laughs) hold on let me find where we were okay yeah yeah maybe that's another thing because roger ebert was also saying that he wants to believe everybody else's pain is real in the support groups maybe it's just a little more fucking intense if he's going to you know literal cancer groups where it's people crying about being cucked by their wives and shit like that yeah and i also i think that he sees um 
he sees his pain as as real as their pain, I think. And I and would, I think that's a good statement I, on how like narcissistic this type of behavior is. Do you, I mean, I'm not saying it's not nar- narcissistic, but do you think that his pain is like not valid? Uh no, I don't think that. I think it is valid, but I think it's the type of valid that you should go to therapy for instead of the type of valid that you should go to a cancer support group okay, for. Okay, yes. Absolutely, you're right about that. Like I I just don't think it's in the same league. You can't really compare them and i think the fact that he is tells us about his uh, personality you're right but the reason that he was told or that he started going to the support groups was he was told to by his doctor who was like if you want to see some real pain you should check out the testicular support group yeah but then instead of acknowledging that as real pain and using it for perspective he just keeps going and yeah you're right himself. he just started getting off on the pain maybe yeah that's a very interesting point and yeah, I have something in my notes, too, about just, like, how that... I don't, it's an extreme example, but it reminds me of, like, self-sabotaging. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's interesting to see a guy who loves pain, but taking it to, like, the most egregious possible place you could. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, he's all emotional pain at the start, and then eventually that escalates into physical pain. It's like, yeah, it's he's doing the same thing as, like, 3 a.m. texting someone who's not in your life anymore. I mean, it's literal self-harm. I mean, like, have you ever... I mean, I was... Before I knew how to deal with my feelings, I was big on smashing my head into things and, you know, doing weird shit like that when I was in school. Uh, do you think it's almost a reaction like that, where you're... Um, you feel like... Because the way I would get is I'd feel, like, so overwhelmed about something, and then I'd get angry that I'm, like, feeling that way. And then it would just, like, build and build and build and build and build where the only, like, literally the only way I could relieve that pressure was by doing some sort of damage to myself. I think it's kind of a pretty similar response where all this fucking societal pressure is put on him to, you know, consume, consume, buy shit, do this, have a job, do all this other stuff you don't really want to do but you feel obligated to do. And you do it, and then you're left feeling empty, and all the only choice you have in your life is to continue doing that. It's like, of course you're going to fucking smash your head against the wall. Of course you're going to join a fight club. Of course you're going to lie about having cancer in a support group. Yeah, and also, like... Yeah, I do think it's similar. And also, I think another thing that, like, a bit more evidence for it is that when he sees his doctor, his doctor doesn't tell him that he has a sleep disorder. He says, choose some of this natural route to get a good night's sleep. Yeah. So it does... I don't know if if it's meant to make me think this, but that does kind of make me think that it's a little self-inflicted. It's not that it's not valid and I don't, like, feel bad for whatever but i think that it's a little bit he's doing it to himself he loves pain a little bit yeah no you're right and i think that's a really kind of weird balance that you have to walk because and i think that's very accurate for the modern day dude yeah i mean i'd i'd say to an extent i like the insomnia or the insomniac aspect was a part that i really identified with this movie as a guy like i've just been really struggling with that for the last like two years or so i'll go like days without sleeping sometimes and it fucks you up man like it you wow does uh, yeah it messes with you yeah you're different on day three and not sleeping oh con- completely and like i i know that i'm different and i can't even remember how i used to be to get back to that point so it's funny though because like sometimes you get more positive like yeah <laughs> well you overcompensate 
sometimes the less you sleep the more like uh the more of like a enthusiastic guy you become oh some of our best episodes i've been on like day three of no sleep (laughs) but like other ones it'll be like like i can't get a single thought through my brain it just feels like everything's made of syrup and like it it sucks because at a certain like i have control over how much i sleep and like it sucks because it's not like a physiological thing that's preventing me from doing it. It's mostly an anxiety thing and a mostly a choices that I make through my day type of thing. Yeah. A big part of why I can't sleep is because I drink a fuckload of coffee. And a big part of why I do that is because I can't sleep. It's a vicious cycle. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's also like, I, you know, just general anxiety about the world. There's lots of fucking things, but ultimately, yeah, no, you're right. Like, it does come down to me. I can control those factors, but to a very limited degree. And that's yeah. partly why insomnia is so goddamn frustrating. Yeah, that's kind of, that's what I, sh- I should have said, like, I should have said that I don't think it's all self-inflicted. Like, I don't think. Uh, but it yeah. is partially. And like, that's. I, the, I do think, yeah. And to me, that's, that's the worst goddamn part of this. Because there are, there are things that I can do through my day that'll give me a better chance at falling to sleep, at falling asleep at night. But there's also a pretty likely chance that i can do all that shit and i'm still gonna lay in bed awake yeah well it's like it's the same conversation we had we've had before about me being in therapy is like yeah it was great and helpful and shit but at a certain point like there's only so much fucking new stuff you can learn and then you have to actually change how you act yeah exactly and instead i was just still in there not getting out of bed any like ever yeah (laughs) um yeah, so I think it's like it has applications for a lot of people, I think. Just the self-inflicted thing. Yeah, no. I, I yes. Yeah, I, and I agree. Um back to, back to Roger. On an airplane, he has another key encounter with Tyler Durden, a, a man whose manner cuts through the fog. He seems to be able to see right through the narrator's soul, and shortly after, when the narrator's high-rise apartment turns into a fireball, he turns to Tyler for shelter. He gets more than that. He gets an on the gr- he gets in on the ground floor of Fight Club, a secret society of men who meet in order to find freedom and self-realization through beating one another to a pulp. I think that's what we were talking about before, where it's all this shit builds and builds and builds and now fight club is the only way that you can relieve that yeah i mean stress and anxiety about the world and fucking general yeah if you want to look at the the catharsis like take on it it um just keeps ramping up exactly like he doesn't address his his uh, real issues so instead he has to go from crying to getting punched to yes. blowing up all the world's financial institutions yeah yeah exactly and it's, I mean, that also really just goes back into the hyper-masculine or hyper-masculine side of things, too. Like, he didn't have to go into a fight club. He could yeah. have joined a gym. He could have just started working out really hard. Like, there's other ways to get the same thing that fight club is going to get. My like, that was like, what I realized was, like, literally smashing my head against the wall, is I can get the same uh, catharsis out of doing push-ups until claps or doing yeah. some other uh, tough, strenuous activity. Like, it doesn't have to be a harm. Yeah. There's other ways to release that energy. Yeah, um, I think it's, I don't know, I think it's more of a statement on how the character is misguided than it is a macho display. Though. Yeah, no, you're you're right, though. And the reason he's going down into that macho display is because he's misguided. By the end of the movie, he realizes that's not what he wanted. Yeah. But, like, he also wouldn't have got to that point if he didn't try out being a macho asshole. 
Yeah. And I think that's what becoming a man is kind of about. Yeah, because it also doesn't start macho. Like, it starts with him crying. Exactly. How is that? That's the furthest thing from macho. He's I would macho never in the third act, like a time of change. I never have movies. cried before. Before yesterday? I never have cried, <laughs> is what I said. <laughs> I, I, um, when I get an emotion, I'm, I just rationally think it through logically. Yeah. And then I'm like, what's the right thing to do? I think and to then myself. I do that. What would Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson do if they were working together? And then I do that. Oh, so you're just authoring a lot of papers in the text messages, are you? Yeah, I'm just, really, I'm just playing the devil's advocate most of the time. <laughs> really, I'm just refusing to use people's preferred pronouns and making wild accusations on YouTube. Really, I'm just uh, taking out uh, sponsored ads on my own videos that nobody's fucking watching anymore. I'm Ben Shapiro. Really, I'm just calling movies that are about leftism fascist. (laughs) Really, I'm Roger Ebert now. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. It's it's at about this point that the movie stops being smart uh, smart and... uh, Sorry. It's at about this point that the movie stops being smart and savage and witty. And sweet and sexy and savage. All the things Kalani is, and also Fight Club. And Megan the Stallion. And Megan the Stallion. It's at this point the movie stops being savage, classy, nasty. <laughs> <laughs> and this movie turns into some of the most brutal, unremitting, nonstop violence ever filmed. That's right. This goes from Megan the Stallion to Tory Lanez. Just <laughs> like that. <laughs> yes, baby. We got a fucking riff on the show, bitch. Suck on that one, Megan the Stallion. <laughs> Fuck you, Rock Nation. Um... <laughs> just kidding love you both but i also uh, how do you how can you say that how can you say that the movie stops being smart and stops being a commentary no I, I it's like no this movie is still smart and it's still a commentary it just, just now it has ultra violence l- let me kick you a scenario just because a character in a movie is doing something dumb that doesn't mean the whole movie is dumb that's the thing something i wish i could have told myself in this podcast the first 25 episodes (laughs) (laughs) but like you got to realize that if you're going to be a movie critic that's why i'm top two now and he's the third one sorry roger brad stepped up halfway through this (laughs) halfway through this dog shit review (laughs) you've dropped places bro that's why now it's key and brad roger ebert (laughs) (laughs) we'll see if he's even in the top three by the end (laughs) yeah michael moore might move up i don't know any other film critics (laughs) just documentary movies (laughs) he seems like he would he's not even a film critic and i bet to use better takes than this fucking idiot. He seems like if a place emailed him asking for a film critique, he would do one. Yeah, he would. Uh, he would respond to that email with a film critique, and it would ha- it would have sent from my iPhone at the end of it. That's a ama- he's that excited yeah. to do a film critique. But Michael Moore seems like the only reason he doesn't have a podcast is because no one's reached out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he seems like a man just itching to make a podcast. But anyway. Although sensible people will know that if you hit someone with an ungloved hand hard enough, you're going to end up with broken bones, the guys in Fight Club have fists of steel and hammer one another while sound effects or while sound effects guys beat the hell out of Nuaga hide sofas and ping pong paddles. 
Well, shut the fuck up, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Let me explain that to you, first of all, because that's the most... Like, what are you even talking about? Bro, now? people have criticized us for nitpicking. <laughs> <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? That's the most complaining about mouth sounds ass criticism <laughs> I have ever heard in my goddamn life. It's like, if you want to make that critique, how about make the critique where all the buildings fall at the end? It's like, uh, I don't believe jet fuel could melt steel yeah, beams Those look like controlled demolitions to me. If there was really that many buildings falling down, how is the building he's in still standing? up it's like fuck off roger ebert why don't guys reload their guns on film roger. because it doesn't make for interesting cinema you stupid old bitch what if the conclusion of this review is just him being like also i don't think tyler durden blew up any of those buildings i think it was israel yeah what if it was that what if what if what if roger ebert reads anti-israel into this movie <laughs> no he just was like doing the same conspiracy theories 9-11 guys do <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, sure, you could break your hand if you punched a guy in the face hard enough. What the fuck is this movie about to you, bro? It's yeah. not a science documentary. Yeah, exactly. This is, I'm not watching Fight Club to think, to learn more about fighting. What kind of bitch-ass loser is measuring the distance his fist traveled on the screen and then putting that over the time it took for his fist to travel that long? calculating the meters per second thus velocity of his fist and then being like that's too hard to punch again yeah like are, is this a roger ebert review or are we doing joe rogan's review of fight club this yeah if you're doing math in a while you're watching a movie just log off man you're if you oh, yeah you know if what? you're log thinking more. if, if yeah, you think pick back up, <laughs> pick up your phone go on twitter ignore it for a second yeah because you're paying too much attention yeah that was probably that i think that was so fucking dumb what a dumb <laughs> Like, that's an unredeemable take to have. Yeah, that's just like, I don't know, man. That's just, I want to call him a pussy for that. That's stupid. If you hate this movie, hate it for a more substantial reason than, oh, I think their hands should have broken. Like, I don't know. It just really doesn't, I don't know. I agree with about half of this, but I, it just doesn't feel very thought out to me. But also, I think that's kind of like what the point of the violence, like at a certain point, the violence in this movie becomes so over the top that I think it kind of becomes impossible to think like, oh, that'd be kind of cool to do to a guy. Well, because, yes, but to me, that's because it's supposed to be shown as escalating. Absolutely. And that's, you're right. That's how this movie is supposed to be seen. It's You're not supposed to see this violence and think like, oh, wow, that's cool. You're supposed to see it and think, that's a little over the top. This is a movie about the like the corruption or the destruction or whatever of a man's mind. Yes. Like, obviously, he's going to start doing shit that's maybe not physically healthy. Yeah. What are you even talking about? Exactly. <laughs> like, every time I have a bad day... I do something that scientifically should have killed me by now. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that, like, it's impossible. <laughs> a lot of recent films seem unsatisfied unless they can add final scenes that redefine the reality of everything that has gone before. Call it the Kaiser Soze Syndrome. Okay, fair, but this movie also very specifically ends before you see that the world changed at all. I think the well the point uh I think that is supposed to be like the plot to twist where it turns out that uh Ed Norton was Tyler Durden the whole time. Like that's what he's talking about there. That doesn't make you see reality different. The reality of the movie it makes you read oh yeah you know sure. question everything that you has been presented to you thus far in the film. Okay. And uh, you know maybe that was a trend of Hollywood at the time but like 
it's like who fucking cares this movie does that pretty fucking effectively in a way that makes sense the in a way that you can go back and watch the movie a second time and get something completely different out of it than you would the first time yeah I so mean, it's like i don't know i i mean maybe that seems like a very contemporary criticism to have of it that would be like now like I guess that's kind of like now about how like my biggest problem with superhero movies is that there's so many goddamn superhero movies. But like in 30 years, if you were to just do a review of Ant-Man and say like, oh, this was bad because of the oversaturation of the market. It's like, who fucking cares about the market at that point? You're reviewing it as an independent work. Yeah. And I I mean, uh, I don't hate you for calling out a trope. You know what I mean? I I love to hate tropes like my biggest problem with Boogie Nights was because it ended on a cliffhanger. Yeah. Much like how this movie does. But um, I just, yeah, I mean, I just think they do it so well that it's like, why are you mad? That it's done beautifully. Exactly. Exactly. And like, I like maybe I just need to watch more movies from the 90s where this yeah. happened. Like maybe it was a real fucking problem in cinema. But also this was based on a book that came out a year after the usual suspects did that I'm certain was being worked on for a lot longer for before the usual suspects came out. So like, what the fuck do you want? What's Usual Suspects? Uh, that's what Kaiser Sose Syndrome is referencing. I haven't seen that movie because it was directed by Brian Singer, a guy who's raped too many kids for my liking. But Well, then we don't shout out that movie. Yeah, but it's it, at the end of it, you find out that the bad guy in it was a character who was you know, there the whole time or whatever. So I think that's what the point of that is, is you reevaluate yeah. that and you look at all these clues differently. But like that's... I don't know. If you ask me, that's just a, that's a good filmmaking. Yeah. That's a, good, that's a way to extend the life of your movie past one watching. The other thing I I don't like, and I, I'm sure I've been guilty of this too, but the thing I don't like about criticizing things is like, why are you mad that the movie played out the way life did? Yeah. Like, how often do you realize that the problem is someone around you? Or is inside you? Or Rare, typically, I'm the issue, and I really like that that movie or the movie did it like that. And also, like, what did you want if this movie didn't have that fucking twist at the end? If Tyler Durden was a different or was just a different guy like this, none of this would have hit the same. Yeah, it wouldn't. Have All made of this sense. would have been pointless if that wasn't how it was. So, like, what's? Uh, how about pitch a fucking alternative instead <laughs> was, of just poking problems? Yeah, the fucking. It would have been a movie about peer pressure if Tyler Durden was a different guy. Yeah, it's like I get that that's what you want, but like, wow, you would have hated this movie even <laughs> yeah. more if that's how it was. <laughs> that's the funniest thing too. Is like. Every time a critic complains about something, it's like, if they did that, the movie would suck fucking ass. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But that's like the same thing as when I complain about how when there's a message, they should say it. Because if they ever stated the message of any movie, it would suck. What just just you wait until Roger Ebert suggests that exact point later in this article. Uh, What is this all about? According to Durden, it is about freeing yourself from the shackles of modern life, which imprisons and emasculates men. By being willing to give and receive pain and risk death, Fight Club members find freedom. Movies like Crash must play like cartoons for Durden. Uh, That's a movie about, uh, it's a David Cronenberg movie, I think, about people who get off on having car crashes. Yeah, why are you roasting a movie character about what kind of movies he likes? Because this guy is a fucking, he's playing inside baseball and he doesn't know how to write bits. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, so Crash must play like cartoons for Durden. He's a shadowy, charismatic figure able to inspire a legion of men in big cities to descend into secret cellars of a fight club and beat one another up. 
Yeah, why are you criticizing Tyler Durden's... Like, that's how he's supposed to be, like, bro. He's, yes! He that. is the devil on your shoulder. He's your ego. He's your demons. Like, he's not supposed to be a fucking positive guy yeah, this who isn't, thinks in nuances. I know that all of this is dumb masculinity. That's what the point of this shit is. <laughs> yeah, you don't have the masculinity demon in your head telling you that you should beat the shit out of people yeah, sometimes? Yeah, all I'm getting is that I could pro- could have probably robbed Roger Ebert all if I'm I really wanted to. All I'm getting is that Robert, Roger Ebert is a bitch and not a boy. <laughs> That's all I'm getting from this review. <laughs> Only gradually are the final outlines of his master plan revealed. Is Tyler Durden, in fact, a leader of men with a useful philosophy? It's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything, he says, sounding like a man who tripped over the Nietzsche display on his way to a coffee bar in Borders. Yeah, okay, fine. You can poke all the fucking holes you want in this obviously flawed ideology that the movie sets up as obviously yeah. flawed. <laughs> Like that's what the point of this is. Jack, like, this is like this is a very surface level analyze of ba 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 ba. It's like yeah, that's the point of Tyler Durden's character is to not see any depth or nuance in anything. He's yeah, just man. supposed to be guttural feelings. You can jack yourself off till you come all fucking day long. That doesn't mean I want to look at it. <laughs> like why are you doing this? Why is this part of the review? In it my- just seems like intentionally missing the point. It's like what people do on Twitter. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, in my opinion, he is no useful truths. He's a bully. Werner no Erhard. Shit, fuck luck, he's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> yes. He's a bully. Werner Erhard plus S&M, a leather club operator without the decor. None of the Fight Club members grow stronger or freer because of their membership. They're reduced to pathetic cultists, issue them black shirts, and sign them up as skinheads. Whether Durden represents the hidden aspects of the male psyche is a question the movie uses as a loophole, but not able to escape through because Fight Club is not about the ending, but about its action. They're not using it as a loophole. That is what the movie is saying. Yeah, no, bro. Hey, Roger, it sounds like you just got too caught up in the action of this movie. Like, it yeah. sounds like you, the viewer, are not watching this effectively. Yeah, it sounds like you watched it once and you wrote this as a plate. Like, honestly. Yeah, it, it truly just really does. It really doesn't sound like you thought about it at and all. And that's, like, the point of this <laughs> I Like, I bet lots of dudes walked out of the theater only thinking about the fight scenes and how sick it was when Ed Norton almost killed the guy. But It like, pisses me off so much that he's, like, saying this, like, sarcastically, like he's shitting on it when he's just describing what the movie is. Yeah. Like, it's, a, man, he's like, does Tyler represent a, a real ideology? No, he doesn't. But guess what? Everybody's a fucking psychopath, and they all think like that. Exactly. So exactly. kind of he does, actually. Yeah, no, yeah. he does. He he represents the guy who's just angry, who doesn't know why. All, all, all he knows is that he's being fucked with and that he's not happy. It seems like this critic thinks the movie is saying that Tyler Durden is right. Yeah, exactly. That's... It's not saying that, actually. Did you see the ending, bro? <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, Brad. This movie's actually not about the ending. Did you see those four times where he tries to shoot Tyler with a gun? Yeah, and then... or what about the last 45 <laughs> minutes of the movie where Edward Norton is fully disillusioned with Tyler Durden and is trying actively trying to stop him? Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. Of course philosophy... Or, sorry. Of course Fight Club uh, itself does not advocate Durden's philosophy. It is a warning against it. I guess one critic I like says it makes a telling point about the bestial nature of man and what can happen when the numbing effects of day-to-day drudgery cause people to go a little crazy. 
Uh, finally, yes. you're getting a little self-aware here. I think it's the cause of numbing effects of movies like this that cause people to go a little crazy. Why do you think that? What a dumb Grand Theft would... Auto is causing violence. Take like Jesus fucking Christ. Roger. I don't even know why you would think that. Like, I don't even know. Like, like he doesn't watch a one fucking movie in this whole movie. He doesn't see a movie. He doesn't talk about a movie. He doesn't reference a movie. <laughs> doesn't even like movies. <laughs> so what do you mean by that? You know, uh, let me tell you what he means by that. Although sophisticates, uh, although sophisticates will be able to rationalize the movie as an argument against its against the behavior it shows. Uh, shout out to Robert for calling us sophisticates, by the way. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you, Robert. <laughs> Robert. <laughs> <laughs> um, although sophisticates will be able to rationalize the movie as an argument against the behavior it shows. My guess is the audience will like the behavior, but not the argument. Certainly they'll buy tickets because they can see Pitt and Norton pounding on each other. Uh, you're talking about this movie being or having homoerotic undertones. How about using the phrase pounding on each other? Yeah, Roger I mean, Ebert. This is just like this are you do you have more to read of that paragraph? Uh, yeah, I got I got one more thing to say. Uh a lot of people will leave this movie and get in fight or a lot more people will leave this movie and get in fights than it will, or then will leave it discussing Tyler Durden's moral philosophy. The images in movies like this argue for themselves, and it takes a lot of narration uh, to argue against them. Brother, what? Like, how overconfident in your own intelligence are you? How stupid do you think the general population? Yeah, that's what is? it seems like. like is Roger how, Ebert what a thinking? Toity ass fucking take. Yeah, exactly. But also, this is your exact take from Wall Street. Yeah. It's a <laughs> Yeah. I criticize myself for having that take too. But um but that's what I'm saying. Like this is literally just a guy thinking like, "Oh, I'm so smart. I of course I get this movie. I'm giving it a bad review because I don't think anybody else will be smart enough also, to get this movie." Also, in our Wall Street thing, I said some. In this one he says the audience will yeah, you're right. You're right. Literally, he said sophisticates yeah. only will uh, get this movie. And I the said general evil public. demon people who already think like this will believe that uh, the rich guy's good. And he said everybody in the world will get into a fight after watching Fight Club. Yeah, he's. Uh... That's why I'm top two. He's top three. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Like, well, I just think that's a very fucking. You're kind of uh... right. But like when you say that I've done the same thing. But yeah. I'm going to try to not do that anymore because what an insane, like, why do you think you're so much smarter than everybody well, else? Because yeah. you write reviews? Because Yeah, exactly. We riff reviews. Uh, yeah. Reviews are nothing to me. <laughs> I don't give a shit about this at all. It's easy. All you have to do is say what you think. It's Ex nothing. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Uh, I liked that segment. Yeah. We oh, we're not done yet. Oh, good. Lord knows the actors work hard enough. Norton and Pitt had to go through almost as phys uh, almost as much physical suffering in this movie as Demi Moore endured in G.I. Jane. I haven't seen that movie. Barely know who she is. And Helena Bonham Carter creates a feisty chain-smoking Hellcat who is probably... <laughs> 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 what a way to describe a lady. If she plays the Hellcat, then Tyler must play the Trackhawk. <laughs> Who's probably to Dirk. Hold on, let me let me get through this sentence because it's a fucking <laughs> doozy. Uh 
<laughs> Helena Bonham Carter creates a feisty chain-smoking Hellcat who is probably so angry because none of the guys thinks having sex with her is as much fun as a broken nose. No. <laughs> no, bro. No, she doesn't come into this resentful about her sex life. I know. That's like not a part of this movie. <laughs> she comes into this being who she is, bro. She's the freest person in this whole movie. She doesn't give a fuck. She doesn't even wash her pussy, and she doesn't care about that. No, the only part where she gets mad and is arguably resentful is when she gets pissed off at uh, Edward Norton for forgetting that they used to hook or that she hooked up with him when he was Tyler Durden. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's not like, I don't know. It's just like... And know, also, she, there's a pretty... It's hard for me to believe For that, all of the second act, she's fucking in this movie, basically. Yeah. So, like, what are you talking about, Roger Ebert? Unless you're saying she's sexually repressed and, like, she's pissed. But also, that, she's not. So you can't even say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And it's like, uh, man, how is... Like, this is your job. this is your full-time career is reviewing movies and what are you even doing to me like (laughs) you know what i mean like why are you saying this you're willfully misinterpreting it like it doesn't what you didn't like i don't even know what to say to this man i know when you see good actors in a project like this you wonder if they signed up as an alternative to canyoneering I don't even know what that means. He was saying that they were, the only reason they did this movie is because they would rather do this than uh, a mountain climb in a canyon, basically. Okay. Um, yeah, they're movie Why would you actors. not say work at a gas station? Why would you not say anything else? Yeah, why would you not say... <laughs> <laughs> That's nitpicky, but like... What a life Roger Ebert has lived where he thinks that you can either pursue your <laughs> dreams or become a canyoneer. <laughs> What was he doing? What did he have to? What kind of pressure was his dad putting on him? Where? <laughs> yeah, man. What kind just, of world do you live in where that's a mundane task? Well, yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, fuck. Dad's making me. Mm. I don't even know what you. You're like, oh, dad's making me start a death squad and go down to Monsanto. I'll tell you, the only reason I came up with the idea to do this podcast is because I was trying to get out of going canyoneering. When I was 14 years old, my dad told me, listen, it's either do stand-up or intense physical labor 12 hours a day for the rest of your life. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll be talented. (laughs) (laughs) This movie was directed... Like, why are you pitch... Sorry, but why would you pitch, like, the idea that being talented is your choice? You get to either pick having talent or climbing rocks all day. Like, what? It's a bad take. (laughs) Uh, this movie was directed by David Fincher and uh, written by Jim Ewells, who uh, adapted the novel from Chuck Palahniuk. In many ways, it's like Fincher's movie, The Game, 1997, with violence cranked up for teenage boys of all ages. Do you think just teenage boys like violence? I don't know. The most no, they don't is the answer. The most violent people I have met are not teenage boys. They're dudes in their mid twenties and early thirties who feel like they have something to prove. Yeah, they're dudes who were pussies when they were teenage boys. That's exactly <laughs> it. Um, so yeah, no, it's not teenage boys he's trying to appeal to. It's men as a whole here. Yeah, I do think this is supposed to be a men's self help movie. Yeah, at almost, its core it almost certainly is a men's self-help movie it didn't have to be only for men but some choices they made definitely made it only for like men. i don't think it should be but I, I i also don't i think that's what it is and i don't think what it is is 
a orgy of violence for teenagers to like. Yeah. No, yeah, it's certainly not that. And if you think that's what it is, then you're fully missing the point of this movie. Like, do you think that... Do you think there were people who watched this at the time and just got off on the violence? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Of course there were. But I just don't think... I can't imagine that was the majority of the people who watched this. Like, I... Yeah, I don't just think that this that movie is exactly subtle in its undertones. Like it, yeah, it seems very clear the point that's trying to be made. Yeah, exactly. Like they use ultra, like it's pretty violent, and I get how that could rope somebody in. But like, at a certain point, like I stopped having fun with the violence. Yeah, and also once you realize he's fighting himself and going insane. Yeah, exactly. You're kind of like, oh, maybe I shouldn't go do violence. Yeah, it kind of doesn't. It kind of <laughs> make you realize, like, oh shit, why did why did this appeal to me so much at the I'm, start of this movie? I'm not gonna lie to you. At, at first, I was like, oh yeah, maybe that would be cathartic if I just boxed my friends fully. Yeah, and me too. I, and then I finished the movie exactly. <laughs> and it seems like Roger didn't do that. It seems like he watched the first 45 minutes and was like, I get where this is going. Let's do a review. Well, like he's talking about the compelling first act. Like to me, it seems like he watched the first act and then thought, okay, I get it. And then pulled out his typewriter and started writing this review. Yeah, exactly. Um, As the second and third acts played. Yes. Okay, so he's referring to the game again. Uh, that film was also about a testing process in which a man drowning in capitalism uh, has the rug of his life pulled out from under him and has to learn to fight for survival. I imagine the game much more than Fight Club because it really, uh, because it was re- because it was really about its theme. While the message in Fight Club is like bleeding scraps of socially redeeming content thrown to the howling mob. Yeah, but he's not fighting for survival. He's self-destructing. Yeah, he's self-destruct. He's not. It's this not, isn't. Yeah, a man. F- this is a man fighting himself. It's not a guy who hits bottom, realizes what's wrong, and then goes out to live another day. No, like this is a man who's constantly at odds with himself in the movie. Uh, he has the two sides of himself: the guy who wants to just be regular, who wants to settle down with Marlo, or, you know, own a couple of cats, have a nice house, yeah. versus the guy who wants to burn it all to the ground. And I think that the ending of this movie is kind of realizing, like, hey, there's a middle ground here where you don't have to be stoked about society, but you also can, you know, see the value in having uh, human relationships with people and that, you know, having a nice, clean house with some stuff in it isn't the worst thing in the world yeah like why compare it to that movie like it they're doing different things they're diff they're not supposed to s- they're not even about the same thing like tons of movies you could say are about a guy drowning in capitalism who then has the rug pulled out from under him like the truman show yeah or like whatever that's just the example i got in my head right now class of 1984 when the teacher snaps sure you know what i mean it's like yeah, but they're different stories. Of course, they didn't fucking end the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Fincher is a good director. His work includes Alien 3, one of the best-looking bad movies I have ever seen. That's a little offhanded there. Yeah, just, <laughs> that's just a little backhanded compliment. Throwing in, uh, like, that's like bolstering your point with personal insults. Like, this is just the most Twitter-ass shit I've ever read. Yeah, honestly. Um and seven, the grisly and intelligent thriller. With Fight Club, he seems to be setting himself uh, some kind of test. How far over the top can he go? The movie is visceral and hard-edged, with levels of irony and commentary about how uh, how the movie is visceral and hard-edged, with levels of irony and commentary above and below the action. 
If it had all continued in the vein explored in the first act, it might have become a great film. But the second act is pandering, and the third is trickery, and whatever Fincher thinks the message is, that's not what most audience members will get. Fight Club is a thrill ride masquerading as, a f- as philosophy, the kind of ride where some people puke and others can't wait to get on again. Uh, that's I don't review. think you can say something is masking as philosophy because anything can be philosophy. It doesn't matter how dumb it appears outwardly. Like, I hate, I hate the people that gatekeep philosophy like it's anything except thinking about yourself. Exactly. Like, people act like it's a fucking thing you need to go to school for. Shut up. And it's like, you, can you really, you really think there's no value in having uh, something that is accessible to the general masses, but also asks important questions about society yeah, bro, and culture? Dumb this is, guys need philosophy. Bro, too. this is the fucking, this is exactly what we've been talking about with dumb guy philosophy movies, like The Matrix and shit. It's not super fucking deep or anything, but it asks some interesting questions that are going to probably make you think about that shit some more it's like man just because it's designed for uh, general consumption by the masses doesn't mean that it's dumb or that it's bad or that it's not deep this is a fucking action movie first and foremost it has some interesting political or you know it has some fucking shit uh to back it up like there's definitely philosophy there but like most guys who watch this are coming for the action and then they stick around for the philosophy i think that that is yeah. I don't know. Well, I think that's good filmmaking, if you ask me. I think this movie uh, did what it set out to do and did it incredibly effectively. Uh, yeah. Roger Ebert didn't fucking get it, though. I also don't think this movie would have been different if it was more philosophical or if it was, like, supposed to appeal to, like, only university professors. Like, I think philosophy guys need to stop fucking gatekeeping philosophy. Like, just because I didn't say my philosophy with a bunch of big-ass words the way you guys say it doesn't mean my shit's not smarter than yours. I'm smarter than Adam Smith, and I don't know half the fucking words that loser knew. (laughs) (laughs) But it's kind of... We're smarter than at least half the Enlightenment philosophers. Everybody in 2021 is. That's true. And so it's like, why are you mad about philosophy for general consumption. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's, it's also that weird hoity-toity leftist shit where we like don't let anyone in on our lingo or our secret club, but then also get pissed that they won't join us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's stupid, and it's just kind of a weird thing. Like, hey, 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 Roger, who do you think this movie was for? Guys who already agree with you? Yeah. Do you think this movie is for guys who have a good sense of control over their emotions? Like, this isn't about that. Yeah. This is a movie about guys who are furious, or for guys who are furious and don't know why. They're trying to just put that feeling into fucking perspective here. It may, like, the, like I said at the start of this podcast, I am the exact target audience for this movie, which is probably why I identified with it as much as I did. But, like, man, that... Yeah, listen. This wasn't for you, and you didn't get it. Like, that's fine, bro. Don't write a fucking review about it. Yeah, maybe I am a dumb fucking guy. Maybe I am. But you know what? Watching this dumb philosophy, it made me think about my life more than hanging out would. Yeah, exactly. So. um, But can you read the start of that last paragraph again? I had something I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, Yes, sorry. Something, okay. Fincher is a good director. His work includes Alien 3, one of the best-looking mo- bad movies I have ever seen, and 7, and the grisly and intelligent thriller. With Fight Club, he seems to be setting himself some kind of test. How far over the top can he go? Oh, yeah. that. So my question to you is, do you think the reason that we don't think it's gratuitous violence is because our generation's desensitized to violence now? Like, do you think at the time it would have been seen differently by the average folk? I mean... 
Yeah, it's pro- I, I would say it was, without a doubt, like, more shocking at the time when people saw it. But, like, I also thought this was pretty shocking now. Like, I don't think that being, or I, like, I don't really think that you we got too desensitized to shit like this. I mean, they were literally doing domestic terrorism. And, like, the end scene where Edward Norton almost beats that guy to death, like, that was hard to see. And, like, the prosthetics they did of him gasping for air through a slight hole in his swollen face, like... That was fucking disgusting. Like, the reason this shit went over the top is because they're trying to show you the end goal of Tyler Durden's philosophy. Tyler Durden isn't supposed... Like, Tyler Durden is portrayed as glamorous and elusive and cool through the second... Or through the middle of this movie. And then at the end, you see the end game of what he's actually going for and how unappealing and disgusting it truly, truly is. Yeah, like... And again, it might be because I'm desensitized or whatever, but I, I don't think... It is... A lot of the violence is shocking and a lot of it is like gross or whatever, but I don't, I wouldn't call it over the top just because I see it as a logical possibility if you're in that state of mind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that's the thing. Like, maybe it's because I keep having thoughts telling me to go do guerrilla warfare or, you know, start a fucking army or whatever, but like, I, I get it. Like, I get being angry and not knowing what to do. Yeah. But also, like, Getting into some fist fights where bad stuff happens is like, how is that not realistic to you? <laughs> like, getting mad and fighting a guy you shouldn't be fighting or yeah. whatever? Like, I don't know. It just seems to me that, um, it seems to me that gratuitous violence is something that can happen in the world. Yeah. Exactly. I, so I don't know why you'd call it over the top. It's gross, and it's the end game for a lot of different ideologies. I think it's important that it was touched on in this movie. I don't think this would have been the, like even if they tried to do realistic fist fights where people kept breaking their hands, which I guess is what Roger Ebert wanted this movie to be about. Like, How many fights have you watched? Like, yeah. Do you think Roger Ebert only saw one fight in his life, and, and the then guy based broke his, his hands knowledge and is like, on that? In 100% of fights, everyone... (laughs) (laughs) It's a scientific fact. (laughs) That's like when they do political polls. Yeah. They're like, five in seven Americans think that it's okay to do naked cartwheels and call it yoga. And you're like, who did they ask? (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to see your sample size. I'd like to see your demographics here. Um yeah, I don't know. I fuck that review. I think we did prove that he's a bitch. I think we did prove that he's a bitch. I think we proved he's dumb. I think we might have even proved that this guy never even saw Fight Club. I don't so. know if he I don't I don't know, man. I think <laughs> it's so funny to like the criticism of him being like sophisticated people will understand what this movie's going for and then proceeds to completely miss the point. Yeah, it's of the like how movie. about you just treat your audience with respect and assume that they get what he's this like, movie's going for. He's like oh, everyone who's dumb in society, they're going to misinterpret this. So let me explain how I personally misinterpreted it. And let me also give this a bad review to go along with what you dummies will think this movie's about. Let me explain how it makes me smart that I got the movie wrong, even though you're dumb because you will too. Yeah, so... Anyway, rest in peace, Roger Ebert. Is he dead? (laughs) Yeah, he died in 2013. (laughs) Why would you do that to me? (laughs) What? Why would you not tell me that? Why would you be like, Brad, I'm... Brad, why would you tell your dog to sick a guy in a wheelchair? That's the same thing you just did to me. You said, Brad, sick him, and I didn't know. 
I couldn't tell he was. I couldn't tell he was injured. I couldn't tell he wasn't ready to fight a dog. So yeah, we just kicked the shit out of a guy who died eight years ago. Can't defend himself even if he wanted to. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? What do you think your parents learned from this movie? I got a couple of things. This is one of my dad's favorite movies, by the way. Why? I don't know. He just loves it. I, I mean, I assume because, uh, like, I don't know. I think this movie kind of hit home for a lot of Gen X or like, I mean, my dad was like the target audience for this movie when it came out. He was yeah. a 30 year old in a in an office job who was, you know, working eight hours a day trying to get enough shit to get a nice house and a nice family going. Like, I don't know. I get why this hit home for him. He was Ed Norton when this came out. He didn't start a fight club, though. He just ended up becoming Ed Norton at the end of the movie when he realized that social bonds and hanging out with other people was uh, really important. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. I'm just I'm just kind of mad at that review still. Like, how do you not see that this is a cautionary tale? That's what I don't get. Like, are there people out there who think this is just like the d- they watch this and they're like, whoa, the director wants me to do some fucked up stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, what is... David, you want me to do what in a basement? (laughs) It's like, what do you think movies are? You want me to make napalm out of soap because I'm mad at the government? I mean, okay, but that's a lot. Do you watch Lion King and think, whoa, 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 you want me to become not only an animal, but the king of Africa? Whoa, 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 you want me to learn how to feel the love tonight? (laughs) This, this is so dumb. It's like how 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 this guy won a Pulitzer Prize. So hey, anytime that you guys are like, oh hey, you guys, I don't think you guys give good reviews on your show. I think sometimes your reviews might be a little one sided. Uh, you guys can suck my cock. We're all better than Roger Ebert, the number four film critic of all time. <laughs> Man, do you have any closing points to say? Because I I gotta get going soon. Um, I definitely do. The same type of like shitty criticism that Roger Ebert does in this um, in this thing that we read, uh, I've definitely done it before. I definitely will still do it. I'm gonna try to um, stop though because I just feel like a lot of this was bad faith. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 and that's what I like about. It. I like seeing. Uh, I liked seeing him fall down some of the traps that we had before, and I also liked calling him out for it. So maybe this is catharsis for all the people who wanted to call us out in the past. Yeah. Um. I got a couple things I think our parents learned here. I like that Tyler says uh, if he could fight one person from the past, he would fight Hemingway. I feel like I would too. (laughs) Yeah, you would fight Hemingway. I've definitely talked about how much I hate for whom the bell tolls on yeah. this podcast man before. actually i really like how all the small talk through this movie was them asking like <laughs> historical figure you could beat the shit out of like <laughs> have i not asked you that a couple times before like that's just I've regular guy like, shit. we've definitely had the conversation of like which edmonton co- wh- who's the strongest edmonton <laughs> comedian we could beat in a fight <laughs> yeah and the answer is um i don't want to say yeah, I mean, the answer is everyone. The answer is Will Hannigan. Yep. Um, oh, I like that he gives them homework to go fight, start a fight and lose to a stranger. Like, th- to me, that just reminded me, like, that sounds like what a phys ed degree is. <laughs> I don't think there's anything else in a phys ed degree. Like, it sounds like 
what your friend who fucks way more than you tells you to do when he takes you to the bar. Yes. He's like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to get laid. But first, you got to go lose a fight to the biggest guy <laughs> in here. Um, this movie taught our parents the more you get beat up, the better your life will go. I think that's kind of true to an extent. Definitely. Um, yeah. Also taught our parents not to go to therapy no matter what, even if you accidentally do domestic terrorism. Um, this movie taught our parents that if you can convince a guy to fight for you, you can convince him to build a bomb for you. And so consequently, this movie taught me never to fight for anyone. <laughs> I will not be fighting for or with or alongside anybody. Beautiful. I think Tyler reminds me of Stalin because he built an army, but he also reminds me of George H.W. Bush because he did a false flag terrorist <laughs> attack <laughs> to boost his own power by blowing up that apartment building. And uh, that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, our parents learned how to do 9-11. Yeah, this movie taught George H.W. how to do 9-11. And just in time, too. Yeah. Came out in 99. I mean, it was even an attack on the financial system. Yeah, so... Like, so Tell me that's not J.H. Dub. Tell me the Taliban hasn't seen Fight Club. I won't believe you. Yeah. Also, it's like it's so funny that his idea is to erase all the debt in the world because like you could do that whenever, and the banks would find a way instantly, same day, to re-debt half the population. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I really liked that 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 was a key part of his plan. It kind of really showed that he had no plan or understanding how anything of how anything worked. Yeah. It was just a guy trying to do stuff. Well, yeah, like for hopefully an end result. That's like the kind of insane shit that I feel like I pitch a lot. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's why I identified with the character yeah. of Tyler Durden so much is he's literally all the dumbest voices in my head put into fucking Brad Pitt's tight little body. Yeah. So I don't know what this taught our parents, but it taught me that I need to chill. Yeah, no, it definitely taught me that I needed to chill. I think it taught me that, hey, maybe I should pursue some social bonds instead of wealth and power only. <laughs> uh, maybe I should uh, maybe I should go meet a girl <laughs> big change from your last me. week's stance <laughs> <laughs> alright thanks for listening um, we're the comedy here often podcast the official one the flagship one the only one uh, it's your parents watch this I'm Kevy that's been young Alexi uh, thank you so much <laughs> <laughs>